Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Matt Harmon and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planter, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. Dalton Deldon joining me today. Dalton, do you know what satisfied me today? What's that, man? Let's actually take this a couple different directions. Because what satisfied me last night was watching Justin Herbert play football. I mean, this guy is like my favorite, one of my favorite things from the 2020 season so far. I'm, I don't know about you, man, but like, I'm so excited about, about Justin Herbert. Like, he has, and we'll talk about the quarterback that he's replaced a little bit later uh, in Philip Rivers. But he has like launched the Chargers up the watchability rankings for me almost single handedly. Yeah, Herbert leads the NFL when pressured in adjusted completion rate and efficiency. That play when he rolled out to the right, uh, avoided the pass rush, and then throwing with on one leg on the move, just such arm strength. So impressive, man. It, it totally. Herbert has just been eye-opening and just must must watch. And the difference in which I my expectations from what I've read of what college people expected. I know that he was considered a possible number one pick like two years before, uh, and then he had a disappointing final year in Oregon. But man, he looks like a, a, a stud, no doubt. Yeah, well, I think there's a like you could actually give him uh, a little bit of credit for you know his kind of backwards way of getting out of being the Giants quarterback because a lot of people said that if you know he had been if he had come out in that previous season like he would have been the guy for the Giants instead of Daniel Jones and like man what a great move to uh to avoid the whole Giants mess but you know so that's just one thing I I think like I said just one of my favorite parts of the season and I'll dig into the again the quarterback that he replaced a little bit later but that is definitely like the opposite of Eli opposite of Eli didn't Eli avoid the Chargers to go to the Giants yeah no yeah man Herbert's awesome and seeing him he looks like such a kid on the sidelines too it's like what is going on like it's like this guy in high school it's unbelievable but man I'm with you he's the deep ball just passing the eye test so much fun so uh if the Niners offer Garoppolo for Herbert who says no who says no right now I'm not satisfied (laughs) Harmon my uh my survivor team was knocked I had the the Chiefs this week which looked totally oh, no. uh you know savvy because few people had them and a lot of people had already burned them and my Niners not only lost but their season just went down the drain as well so I'm uh, uh decidedly unsatisfied with with this with this past weekend's uh outcome yeah I'm gonna go ahead and say that if the uh if the Niners offered that trade I feel like the Chargers might might say no but that's just a just you know an inkling no it's true too like he looks he looks like a kid I mean he's 22 years old so, you know, that's 
quite a bit younger than both of us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like he's 22 years old, so he but he looks like a kid. I like I told you, my fiance and I have the the gym down in the garage, and like I wire the games downstairs so we can I can still watch football while we work out or whatever. And I was like going like rattling off all of these like just all these things that I think about Justin Herbert and like how good he is as he's dicing up the Saints. She's like. She's like, what do you like? You know, what do you have a crush on this guy? Like, I mean, I, but I, I kind of am like football smitten. I'm satisfied, you know. No. So that that's where we're at. Uh, you're welcome, yeah. Planters, for that great, uh, <laughs> that great bit there. I was telling my wife, I'm jealous, man. I'm jealous. I wish my my team had that quarterback, that franchise quarterback, a 22 year old looking like that. Totally, man. I'm, I'm smitten as well, man. It's uh, he looks like a star. Well, Dalton, that's why I like podcasting with you, because we are often on the same page. Now, let's jump right into what we do here on the Tuesday show. We talk about up, up front. We talk positive. We, we start out with the trends that we love to see coming out of week five. And I think the story, you know, perhaps of the NFL, but certainly in fantasy circles from week five was Chase Claypool. You know, this guy scores four touchdowns, three on the ground, one through the air. You know, I think... I think, like, obviously Chase Claypool is worth discussing all on his own, right? Like, I think having a discussion about what is Chase Claypool going to be the rest of the year, you know, is this the start of um, a rise to stardom? That on its own is a really interesting discussion. I also think, like, parsing it out even further, you know, like, what is the effect on all of the other Steelers pass catchers? And also, like... How do the Steelers continue to have these young guys just pop up one after another? I think that's an interesting conversation. But let's just start off with what happened in week five with Claypool. And we'll just go, we'll review the routes run at first. So week five routes run among the Steelers pass catchers, the top four guys. Juju still led the team at 35. James Washington was number two at 33. Ebron, Eric Ebron, the tight end, was 26. And Claypool, the breakout star, number four with 24 routes run. So... Where are you at with Claypool now coming off this massive game? It's funny the Steelers first complained about getting that bye, but it seems to me that they might have schemed a little bit to get their rookie more involved. Of course, that Deontay Johnson injury was also unpredictable right away. Um, so I've been saying that I have Deontay ranked ahead of Juju the past couple of weeks, but man, if he keeps getting banged up and leave, leaving games, uh, we have to take a wait-and-see approach and just see how he is health-wise. But Claypool's obviously the number one waiver wire ad this week. Looks uh, super exciting. Was Had really strong workout metric numbers if you look at his, uh, his, uh, you know, his his workout numbers, but what I read both things about him coming out of Notre Dame, but clearly he's hitting the upside there and he landed in the right environment because Pittsburgh can go through all the names, Emmanuel Sanders, Martavis Bryant, all these guys they find after round one uh, at the wide receiver. It has to do with development as much as it does the drafting. I'm convinced, but either way, they're making it work with another one. Claypool looks super exciting. Where do you stand the reception perception? I'm curious where you stand, Matt. Yeah, so I think you actually brought up one of my key points in all of this, which is I know that, you know, the common thought that we have coming out of seeing Claypool break out is a lot of people say, like, man, the Steelers are just so good at scouting receivers. Like, I think it's less that they have some kind of skeleton key when it comes to scouting the position, and it's more about what you said, like, development and deployment. I think deployment, the second thing, is crucial 
when it comes to how good they've been with receivers. And two examples, number one is Juju. Like I've said it all along throughout his career, you know, the fact that they've continued to let him be that big slot guy and never tried to force him outside, never tried to force him to be an X receiver because that's just not what he does. He doesn't win off the line of scrimmage or against man coverage enough to be that player. Like that's a success story right there. And I think Claypool is another one. Claypool's a guy that people thought could potentially be, you know, that, that type of like tight end move tight end type of guy, but the Steelers have kept him on the perimeter. Like they've used him as more of a Vincent Jackson type guy, you know, like he's, he's more of that big long strider than anything else. Like he's only run 5.8 slot routes per game to start this year. Like, I think that's crucial in all of this, but at the same time, like a big part of what helped him break out, in this game against the Eagles, like I went back and watched that game, uh, you know, yesterday afternoon. And it was just unbelievable how often the Eagles like let him get ripped, like let their defense get ripped apart by this guy against linebackers, like per pro football focus, two of his touchdowns in that game came against middle linebacker, Nathan Gary. The other one came against a traditional cornerback, but yeah, I mean, so those big plays that he was making, a couple of them did come out of the slot against zone coverage. So they're getting him some favorable ad, like advantageous matchups, but at the same time I love that they let him stay and develop there on the perimeter and like frankly I think there's no going back from this. Like I think there's no point where they're just going to leave Claypool on the bench or he's not going to be a big factor. Like the James Washington thing, like he's the one guy I think is, you know, he's just kind of out of the picture at this point. Like, I don't think there's going to be much we're going to hear from James Washington going forward, except, you know, occasional big plays or whatever. So I think the more interesting question, like you said, is what do we get out of Deontay Johnson? What do we get out of Juju Smith-Schuster? I'm still really high on Johnson. Johnson still, amazingly, he's le- he's like almost played no snaps in his last two games, but he still leads the team in targets with 26. Juju, I think, actually might sneaky be the biggest loser here. He ranks 61st in yards per game among all pass catchers, only five air yards per target. That's the part that I think is really interesting. Like, There's no way I think that Claypool goes back to just being sort of a bit player. I think he has to eat into the target shares of these top two guys. Yeah, and Juju's uh, among the lowest ADOT this year. Actually, Ben Roethlisberger is a lower average in 10 in air yards than Derek Carr and Garoppolo. Um, I'm with you that it might hurt Juju the most, and we just got to see Deontay Johnson's health. Um, it's going to probably hurt all of their values, really, just adding another star there. But um, yeah. yeah, definitely just depends on Johnson's health moving forward. But Claypool's a thing, yeah. Um, but it is interesting that you bring up how he was so successful. I'm not sure how repeatable that would be. Um, yeah, there might be too many mouths to feed to have a consistent there, especially with the defense. It's pretty good. But I don't know. It's an interesting situation. You got to add Claypool. I wish I had a hotter take, but we just have to see how it shakes out. And Deontay Johnson may end up being like some guy who's totally injury prone because it's been different things yeah. seemingly different too. Things, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was hurt as a rookie as well too. So that it's definitely like stacking two things, you know, two years of injuries on top of each other. That's certainly worth noting. I I, I think that's like you know players' injuries can always change. Like I feel like that's the thing I'm least qualified to talk about among the many things I'm not qualified to talk about when it comes to like predicting football. Um, but like that that that. I have no idea how that's going to shake out, but I, I agree with you. Like, I think it's going to be a very spread out passing deck. The only like silver lining there is that the Steelers, you know, coming into last week were what, the second most pass heavy team when the game was within three points. Like they've been throwing the football a lot. So I'm not too, I think there can be enough volume there, but 
going forward, I would rank these guys like between wide receiver 20 and wide receiver 35. And like one of those three is going to pop off and have that big game. It probably just depends on the matchup. Like coming into this week, I think Juju has the best matchup. They face the Browns this week. They've yeah. given up more yards to slot receivers than any other team so far. So maybe this is the week we put Juju at 20 and the other guys in like the mid 30s. And just like you said, kind of you kind of have to see what happens. No, it's a great point. I think they now have three receivers in that 20 to 35 range as opposed to, you know, one in the top 10 and another outside the 30. So, yeah, it make, makes sense totally. All right, let's move on to another wide receiver situation. Sammy, stop me if you've heard this one before. Sammy Watkins is injured. Um, he's going to miss a few weeks. Uh, so is this finally Nicole Hardman's season? Last week, week five, we'll talk about their their volume split. Routes run, Kelsey led the team. Shock with 40, he had 12 targets. Tyreek Hill was second with 39 routes, six targets. Hardman was just ahead of Demarcus Robinson, 34 routes to Robinson's 33, and those guys had seven targets between them, so nothing major there. But is this sort of like what you were, you know, if you drafted Miko Hardman, you pretty much couldn't count on anything predictable until someone has someone got injured. Well, yeah, yeah. someone someone is injured. Someone is injured now. So is this is this the beginning of Hardman season. I know fantasy managers are excited. I'm just looking at the expert consensus ranking in the, and early, it's early in the week, but Hardman's number 30 among wide receivers and Demarcus Robinson's number 57. So I feel like those should probably be closer, but um, obviously Hardman has the splash plays and he scored the touchdowns as a rookie and he's exciting in the speed and all that. So um, yeah, he's obviously should be ranked ahead of Robinson more upside, but um, I don't know. I get the feeling that Hardman might need another injury to truly become the the star that we were, we were hoping. But um, I don't know. What do you think, Hardman? I like Hardman a lot. I'm, I'm excited about the player. Okay. I think he's super super explosive. Like Robinson to me is you know he's he's just a jag. Um, sure. You know as of as of this taping, we haven't seen the Bills play. That's the Chiefs' Week Six opponent. Um, too bad would have been a nice revenge spot for Sammy Watkins, but we haven't seen the Bills play yet because they're playing the Titans here on Tuesday night. We're recording on Tuesday morning, um, but at the same time, like I think the the Bills overall have been you know a pretty mediocre pass defense, so I'd be inclined to throw um, to throw Hardman out there. Uh, I, I'd be excited to to use him here in Week Six because I do think. That he's like, if anyone's going to be a difference maker in the result of the Sammy Watkins injury, I do think it's going to be Hardman. So, and also, like, it's worth noting too, the Chiefs haven't exactly been popping off consistently as a deep passing team. They kind of started to get it going. Everyone's talking about Derek Carr throwing it down the field coming off this week five upset, but the Chiefs actually finally got their vertical passing game going a little bit against the Raiders, which is no shock. It's the Raiders. But Hardman, I think, is obviously the guy that's going to unlock that more if it's going to be someone from this passing game, not DeMar. Marcus Robinson. Yeah, Watkins was getting targets. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited about Hardman in that offense. I mean, that over-under in Monday night game is 55 right now. Buffalo, you said their offense has played far better than their defense this season. So that should absolutely be a high-scoring game. And yeah, I mean, you're, if you if you had Hardman and now Watkins is hurt, you, especially with the craziness of the NFL, you're, you're starting him this week for sure. I mean, yeah, you're using him. Yeah. Yeah, and the upcoming schedule is pretty good too. At Denver in weeks, well, as much as as much as the schedule means a damn thing this year, because like by, by right. next week it could be completely different again. I don't know that I have like the biggest schedule anxiety of all time, man. Right now at this point, because I'm just like they really don't have too many more cards to play. Like, what are they gonna do if there's an yeah. uh, whole other whole other friggin' topic there? Um, but the upcoming schedule, as it stands right now, for the Chiefs at Buffalo in Week Six, like we said, at Denver in Week Seven. Against the New York Jets in week eight, Carolina in week nine before their bye week. So, I mean, there's a lot of appealing 
Um, a lot of appealing matchups there, you know, that, that you, I mean, obviously it's the chiefs. You're going to side playing people anyways, but like if Hardman is on your waiver wire, which I think there's a chance that he might be, I would be pretty aggressive in, in going out and getting him. Uh, and I would definitely be starting him all, all, this week and probably going forward. I'm with you on the schedule, man. Doing the fearless forecast videos yesterday. It's like so many changes and a lot of the sites haven't even updated on the old internet. It's, it's confusing, man. Who's playing whom and, and when it's uh it's crazy. I'm with you with the anxiety too. what's going to happen moving forward. But, um, I guess this is to be expected. And, uh, yeah, it's craziness for sure, though. It's wild how many teams have just been moved around. I think the Steelers like haven't played a road game from week one until like week seven or something. There's just going to be some <laughs> some weird oddities for sure. Yeah, the steel. Uh, yeah, it's funny that you said the Steelers seemed like they were the team that was miffed the most about this change. But yeah, they certainly found a way to come out pretty and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, beat up on the Eagles. Like I don't know that there's too many schedule changes that the that the damn uh, Eagles can make to really uh, fix their problems at this point. So there is that. Um, let's move on to another one that we kind of love to see. Well, I don't know. You're, you're a Kenyan Drake guy, or at least you were coming into no, the year. Don't say so, that. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll keep that just between us. Yeah. Exactly. So, so, you know, you, you might not love to see this, but I know there are a lot of people that are clamoring for Chase Edmonds to get more playing time. In week five, he saw 45% of Arizona's snaps. That was a season high. Obviously, Kenyon Drake did okay. He found the end zone, whatever. If you wanted to count on him as a bounce back guy, that's great. But, you know, again, Edmonds, I continue to think that there's a chance there could be a sea change at some point here in this backfield because, you know, uh, Cliff Kingsbury has talked about him being a really good um you know, a really good start, like a guy that he sees as a starting back. Uh, the touches are not even close, you know, when it comes to like the rushing work. Kenyon Drake is clearly ahead, 85 carries on the season to 19 for Edmonds. But continue to, you know, the routes run are much closer. 81 routes for Drake, 72 routes for Edmonds. Like, take take out the idea of there being, you know, at some point a switch in this backfield. Is Edmonds increased usage, like more time on the field last week, and, you know, obviously he has a pretty clear passing down work. Does that make you inclined to actually maybe, like, maybe call Edmonds like a what-the-heck flex sort of player against Dallas on Monday night next week? Yeah, absolutely. I included him in my 30 running backs in the fearless forecast because I, I think he is. Um, I was 100% a Drake guy, really ranked him aggressively. Luckily, I backed off him in my own leagues and my rankings toward the end there when he got hurt. The final two weeks, I was a little worried when he was in that full body cast or whatever. But before that, there's <laughs> yeah. no question I was in, ranked him as a top 10 pick and expected a big season. But even last week, I, I was completely flipped and said I might rather uh, chase Edmonds at this point. And uh, I think that only solidified it further. With this last week, Drake really was saved his day with that late goal line score. Edmonds had one carry, but he took it to the house for a score. And if you're in a, I guess I should say PPR leagues matter drastically here. But if you're in a PPR sure. league, Edmonds is clearly a flex option, getting all the, the targets and looks like the better runner too. Drake, I don't know, he's been injury prone his whole career too. I know you like to talk about that, but if he goes down, Edmonds would have a lot of upside. But right now, honestly, in a PPR format, I'd probably prefer to start Edmonds. Drake just looks totally pedestrian. Although Dallas is a nice, nice game that should have a, a ton of scoring opportunities. Yeah, Kenyon Drake at this point, 3.7 yards per carry on the season. He's got to be able to hike that thing up uh, at some point against Dallas here. Let's stick on Dallas because obviously, like, we don't love to see the – like, the love to see it section here does not include uh, Dak Prescott because, like, that sucks. It was the biggest gut punch, I think um, – the, you know, one of the biggest gut punch injuries that I can remember, yeah. uh, Liz and I, I feel like we were about to cry on Sunday's podcast, <laughs> like talking about that. It was just, it was that much of just a bummer, but this is, I mean, 
if there's any scenario where you're going to be passing the reins off to somebody, um, Andy Dalton's like probably the best backup quarterback in the league at this point. I think he, you know, there, there are definitely starters that he's better than if you want to go down the list at this point. Like, but one thing I think we know about Andy Dalton, you know, it's hard to say like if there's a player, you know, or a position that he really loves to, to target or something like that. Cause I think he's the key with Andy Dalton is like when the supporting cast has been good, he's been good. He's been able to, you know, keep those players afloat. And I mean, this is obviously one of the best supporting casts in the NFL. One of the, the, if probably the best wide receiver trio in the league, Dalton Schultz has been pretty good at tight end, even though he's my second favorite Dalton uh, in the fantasy biz. Mm -hmm. Uh, And obviously, you know, they have a good running back in the backfield. So have you changed, like, Obviously, losing Dak Prescott sucks, and it's not good for it's not good news for any of these receivers. And in fact, I think you've got to give everybody a tiny downgrade. But how significant of a downgrade is it? You know, like from from just a pure numbers perspective. Okay, so first of all, I think it's 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 one of those we have to wait a little bit and just see how Andy Dalton targets the receivers. But if I had to guess now, I'd just say Gallup was the guy getting all the tough sideline targets. The air yards was nice, but. I feel like he's he's fallen a, a distant third in, among the wide receivers, but I'm still ranking Andy Dalton aggressively. I know he does not have the upside of Dak. He does not going to run the ball, and it was such a horrible injury. It's, yeah, this just awful. Um, but man, especially at home and Monday night against Arizona, that over under is super high. The three wide receivers, the defense is horrible. The pace is up. Uh, the coaching's been aggressive. They've been going for it on fourth downs. Um, so the environment is just is just right, man. I, I have Andy Dalton as my number six quarterback this week. It looks like his ECR is number sixteen. So maybe I'm crazy, but I think he'll he'll step right in there and he should be aggressively added in superflex leagues and uh, just based on the uh, you know weekly matchups. And I love this week. I think he could easily be a QB one some weeks. Oh no, I mean I'm with you. Like he's he could easily be QB one some weeks. I think like if you if he's on waiver wires and superflex formats or whatever, you gotta like I don't know, you know, empty empty the wallet at this point, you know, because I think it's that good of a situation. Plus, like they're gonna continue they're gonna continue to throw. Like pundits on TV can can say all they want about they've gotta start establishing Zeke and blah 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 blah. Good luck with that defense over there. It's just not gonna happen. Like Dalton's still gonna have to push the ball down the field a bunch and their offensive line they can't run with all those offensive line injuries too you have to force to pass in that situation they really are yeah i mean that's that's another thing too that like drives me crazy i think it's just kind of like it's just a little bit of like lazy analysis anyways like they're not built like that like that team that they used to be able to just you know hammer zeke a bunch like that it and also like zeke is zeke that guy anymore too like i i think he's still obviously one of the best backs in the nfl but I don't know that he's like, you know, top, top three or something like that. I think he's been passed up by several younger, fresher guys who haven't had the, the, the body of work that he's had. So yeah, I, I I think that overall they're, they're definitely a team that is going to kill, still continue to uh, push the ball through the air. And that, that we love to see from a fantasy perspective. Totally with you. His fantasy value was helped by a career high target share and, you know, gets the goal line work. But but Elliot is not, you know, it doesn't look like a Dalvin Cook or Nick Chubb out there this season at, at all. But I think Andy Dalton, yeah, it, horrible loss for Dallas. But man, he could not be a better situation. Now, it would have been interesting, funny if Jameis Winston ended up signing there instead of New Orleans. That would have been quite a carnival, like just stepping from Tampa oh Bay God, to that situation yeah. would have been pretty funny. But I think Andy Dalton will, uh, I mean, he looked good. Obviously, that one deep completed pass to Gallup made the numbers look better, but yeah, I think he's going to be really interesting moving forward uh, for fantasy fantasy managers. 
Yeah, CD Lamb too, continuing to get looks out of the slot and vertical looks out of the Love slot it. too. I mean, Love it's it's yeah. uh, like that. I think I think if Andy Dalton is going to like zero into one spot when the pressure's on or whatever, I could easily see it being Lamb. That that is a that's a pretty potentially exciting connection. Wanted to once again thank our sponsor Planters for this episode. When you want to satisfy a salty craving, Planters has you covered. Their deluxe mixed nuts are roasted to perfection and seasoned with sea salt, giving you the crunchy texture and enhanced flavor that you crave. Stay satisfied with Planters Deluxe Mixed Nuts. All right, let's move on to trends that you hate to see, Dalton. Um, Zach Ertz. Uh, Graham Barfield had this tweet. The last two games with no Dallas Goddard, no Deshaun Jackson, no Jalen Rager, or Alshon Jeffrey, uh, and, you know, Travis Fulgham is like the center of the universe there. Zach Ertz has four catches for nine yards and then one catch for six yards. <sighs> I mean, this is another one where, you know, before the season, there was a contract spat there. Um, Zach Ertz said he wanted to be there for the long term, but maybe they don't want him there for the long term. They obviously, like when Goddard's healthy, I think Goddard is at this point probably a better player. Uh, where are we at with the whole Zach Ertz thing? Is this a guy that you're like dropping on fantasy teams or or are you waiting for potentially maybe there's a trade coming there? Tight end has not emerged as I had hoped. A lot of uh, still some questionable, uh, you know, just lineup decisions to be made there. So I don't. It depends on your league as far as dropping him. But man, I've been ranking him like Ertz has been kind of washed with, along with T.Y. Hilton and A.J. Green the last couple of weeks. I'm not quite sure he's that bad. But if Dallas Goddard returns, I will easily rank him ahead of him. So I, I could see Ertz being dropped in some formats. But just given the tight ends are so you know thin or whatever, um, maybe not in all. But yeah, it's, he he could be one of those catch and fall down types. Uh, looks like he's definitely toward the his his best days are behind him, no doubt. Yeah, he's always he's never been much of an after catch guy. Um, so it's that extreme that like now, though. yeah, now it's extreme. I mean. There were several times, especially during that Niners game on Sunday night, where like, you know, you, they're getting him the ball on those like quick out routes to the flat, and I'm just like, "There's what, what are you hoping for there? Other than he's going to catch it exactly where he is and get tackled." Like, yeah, that's a concerning one to me. Um, also, never been like you know the most supremely athletic guy. He's always been one of the savvier tight ends. And I think that's how he's won, and that's why he's always had that great mind meld with Carson Wentz. And you know, that mind meld might exist but there's just nothing more beyond that and this is an Eagles team that clearly needs more than that and they're getting that from Travis Fulgham uh ODU's finest by the way always shout out my Virginia guys uh when it comes to them randomly popping up in the NFL um where are you at with Travis Fulgham like is this a guy like 10 catches last week after a pretty big game against the Niners as well where uh, is this someone that you think has any staying power or totally random like you know, flash in the pan, probably not a thing. I mean, you have to add him and just, again, another wait and see with all these injuries, the Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson, but yeah, quite impressive. And I was going to make a joke. How's Ertz going to be involved when, when Fulgham's getting all the targets, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> like we've seen and you got to add him, but it, it's again, this just depends moving forward with the health of these other people. But what, what is, uh, what does Harmon say about Fulgham? I was going to ask you. I mean, dog, I got nothing on, I got nothing on Fulgham. Yeah, like, I've never, I know, never right. charted, never charted a single route, right. but I mean, Right. Like the size uh, is is pretty appealing, six two two fifteen. Like also, you know, decent speed. Like you know, four five eight. He's not like a, a slow poke or anything like that. Like the big boundary receiver that I think they used to want Alshon Jeffrey to be. 
Like maybe this is that guy, you know, I mean, they need something there. Like, and, and like, what is Philly's not in a position to sort of say like, okay, this guy's playing well. He's got some connection with Wentz. Let's just forget about it. Like, do they really like JJ Arcega Whiteside's not going to come through for them. Greg Ward is like still a big part of the offense, leading the team and routes run and all that type of stuff. So like, I think at this point they got to accept that Fulgham is a potential guy that they can continue to rely on. And, you know, for that reason, might, we might continue to see him. You know, I mean, he's not like he's not a, the worst athlete in the world, and he's got pretty good skills at the catch point. I think it's a good fit for where, where Carson Wentz is right now as a passer. Dude, the second most air yards in the NFL last week behind DK Metcalf, John Hightower last week. I mean, it's oh, it's a wild situation in Philly. Yeah. So I think if Fulgham could easily emerge, we've seen it before these receivers come out of nowhere, and there's an opportunity there. So he's definitely someone that at minimum you stash for sure. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's talk about two. I don't know. I don't want to call these guys disappointing players, but they've been. I would say these two rookie running backs have been fine. They've been fine, and it's really just an expectations thing because I think after week one, I know I would have said that both of these guys are like top five, top eight, locked in running backs the rest of the way at the absolute worst. But so far, Clyde Edwards-Helaire ranks running back twelve in Yahoo scoring and Jonathan Taylor is running back 13 hilarious. They're like right back to back uh, as these like hotly debated, you know, guys in the dynasty circle or whatever, but let's start with Clyde Edwards Hilaire and let's just read off the, you know, periphery metrics at first. The usage has been great. 81% of the team backfield touches 66% of the team snaps 14% of the team targets 17 red zone looks 23 routes per game that ranks sixth among all, sixth among all running backs Kansas City's like 20th in rushing success rate so they've been just sort of an average rushing team but it just you know the fantasy juice that we would have expected from Edwards Hilaire has not been there so far but the usage is great so where do we stand going forward? Are we buying that he can have, you know, sort of like a, a, a breakthrough moment, especially like I mentioned earlier, the schedule sort of opens up for Kansas City. Um, where are we at with this rookie rusher? First of all, let me circle back to Hightower, who had 18 receiving yards this week and his air yards were 204. Shout out to Herms Meyer has airyards.com back up. That is a wild amount yes. of unrealized air yards, Mr. Hightower. Um, <laughs> all right. CEH, man. All right, so he's he's a feature back on the Chiefs, so I, I think like he's going to be plenty good moving forward. But he's definitely been a disappointment, no question. Seeing him leave the field on all third downs for Daryl Williams, it's like I thought this guy was a monstrous receiver in LSU. Frustrating, but having yeah, said that, weird. having said that, he's the only Chiefs running back with a carry in the red zone this season. The only one. He's zero for seven inside the five. Uh, he had a touchdown catch called back last week on this very sketchy uh, penalty. So I'm still buying moving forward, but there's no question he's looked pedestrian at times and been a disappointment, uh, particularly in the scoring department. Yeah, I think he broke more tackles. I think it's per pro football focus. He broke more tackles in week one than he has the rest of the games mm. combined. So, I mean, mm. yeah, that there has been that pedestrian you know, not not just again, not as explosive, not the same juice that we would have expected from the player or the role. I mean, I thought he looked, you know, in week one, I thought he looked awesome. Yeah. But at the same time, now we know that the Texans are one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. So there could be some of that, yep. you know, that we just didn't know that at the time. But now we clearly do. Um, but like I said, the schedule does open up for the Chiefs. 
Buffalo next week. The Bills, we talked about their pass defense earlier. Their rush defense has definitely been the weaker part of that unit. They've been getting yeah. punked on the on the ground. Denver, whatever. New York, whatever. Carolina in week nine, we know they're one of the worst run defenses. Then they get a bye week. Then the Raiders, the Bucks, the Broncos again. You know, I mean, there's some really appealing matchups coming up. I know, like... If I was a person that made fantasy trades, and I'm not because I'm a coward, <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast, mm-hmm. uh, I would love to make some trade offers for Edwards Alaire because I do believe in the player. And again, the usage has been great. I mean, yeah, he's coming off the field on some third downs for Daryl Williams and Darwin Thompson, but those guys aren't really getting touches. You know, 81%, like I said, of the backfield touches, 23 routes per game, the top six mark among all backs so far this year. So, like, th- those guys aren't involved even if they're coming out on some some passing downs or whatever. So, uh, in in all, I think the usage has been really positive uh, for this player. I, I know that I stand on the side that I think he's going to eventually have that rebound. It's just, it's, it yep. is coming at some point. Even though I complained about Daryl Williams coming out on passing downs, uh, CEH did have like eight targets last week. So he's certainly getting yeah. some involvement there. So, no, I, I'm totally bullish moving forward. I haven't ranked as a top five back in that Bills matchup. Jonathan Taylor, another guy yeah, I was aggressive on, on. I mean, couldn't have gone better as far as uh, you know becoming the starter immediately for them with Marlon Mack going down. But, man, he's looked pedestrian as well. And uh, even more frustrating for me is where are all the, where are all the Phillip Rivers dump-offs? I thought he would see targets just being in that system there. So he's not getting that. Tough matchups. But, um, yeah, very disappointing Taylor as well. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so let's let's review the the usage metrics here. Number one, I think yes. this is in, this is interesting. The Colts rank 32nd in rushing success rate so far this year. Um, they've not been a good rushing team, which you know could speak to the fact that Taylor hasn't been quite as advertised. Um, they could speak to a few other things. Taylor is being stuffed on just 6.5 percent of his runs, so he's generally getting positive yardage. But here's the problem. of the backfield touches for him. Not only does Naheem Hines have 44 touches, Jordan Wilkins is still involved. He has 30 touches this year. He's run just 11.4 routes per game. Hines is obviously at 15, just 8% of the team targets. Like you mentioned, 50% of the teams, under 50% of the team snaps, 19 red zone looks. Naheem Hines has 13. This is sort of, I mean, this is not even the biggest problem for him is just how he's looked or whatever. This is sort of a split backfield, and it's not just split between him and Hines. Wilkins is still involved as well, and that could speak to the fact that the coaching staff is not in love with what they've gotten from Jonathan Taylor. I mean, there were all those reports coming into the year that they drafted Taylor to, quote, spell Marlon Mack, and everybody just laughed them off. Well, they're still spelling Jonathan Taylor this far into the season. That's the weirder part to me. I hear you, but Wilkins was kind of phased out this last week. 4% snap share, one carry, one route. So hopefully that is more of a sign. And that Browns setup was not easy playing in Cleveland outdoors with Phillip Rivers as your quarterback. So um, there's no question that Taylor has not popped on on film. But running backs can improve too. You know, I've had a couple people question that on Twitter. And and my response was, I know it seems like a weird position to get better at, but the obvious example um, would be who? Le'Veon Bell between year one and year two mm-hmm. looked like a completely different player. Um, so I, I and, and Taylor, I think, uh, you know, has missed a couple, been a little bit too aggressive and not as patient as he wanted to be a couple yeah. shoestrings away from some long plays. So I'm another, another guy like CEH. I'm going to um, remain stubborn and stay on buying moving forward. Yeah. The only, here's the biggest pause I have with Taylor. Like of these two guys, I'm definitely more bullish on uh, CEH being the better bet 
all the way through because I think the usage is there. And also he plays on a team that has uh, Patrick Mahomes as their quarterback. And Dalton, I don't know if you can see my whiteboard back here. It's I don't get it with the Colts. I don't understand, like, the like I don't know. I feel like it's sort of big brain football media, like, really likes the Colts. And I get the fact that they have – I like Frank Reich as a coach. I like uh, Chris Ballard as a GM. I think they have a good infrastructure there. But I talked about Justin Herbert up at the top, like, launching the Chargers up the watchability rankings. And it's not just the fact that, like, he replaced Tyrod Taylor, who is probably not going to be as exciting as Justin Herbert. Phillip Rivers has made the Chargers – a a tough watch for like the last three years. I don't like, I don't like Phillip rivers one bit. I mean, I think he's a hall of famer, like whatever. He's been a great quarterback for a long time, but he's been a tough watch recently uh, in the chargers days. And that was when he was surrounded by a lot of great pieces. There's not a lot of good, like if we want to be honest with ourselves, Take the offensive line out of it. There's not a lot of good pieces in Indy. T.Y. Hilton, you mentioned, doesn't look great so far this year. Michael Pittman has been hurt. Paris Campbell is now hurt. Zach Pascal is okay, but he's just a guy. You know, Molly Cox is exciting, but he's a, a former, you know, another Virginia guy, VCU. Shout out to their basketball program. I got to shout out those guys. But he's like a, a convert player. Jack Doyle is like what Zach Ertz is right now was what Jack Doyle was in his prime, you know, like a catch and fall after running five yards down the field. There's not like Jonathan Taylor doesn't play on a good offense, man. And the, and the Colts might like, they have a pretty good defense, whatever, but they might be like a not good team. And for whatever reason coming into the year, people liked them as a potential Super Bowl team. Like it just didn't, it's, it's not there, man. Like rivers is not it. This whole team is not it. And that I think is Jonathan Taylor's biggest problem. Totally fair points. Their defense is full-blown legit, allowing the fewest yards per play this season. But man, those are some issues on offense. I mean, with losing Paris Campbell and Michael Pittman wasn't bad enough. But if T.Y. Hilton's also washed, that's a pretty bad uh, bad combo there. And even uh, yeah, Jack Doyle is not going to... He's a, the <laughs> ultimate fall-down guy like Zach Ertz. So, and, and even Anthony Costanzo, their left tackle, missed last week. So it, it's a problem. There's no question. And it's not the great environment like I, I foresaw Colts being, especially uh, for, for the offense. And, and Phillip Rivers, man, I don't know what to make him. I think he's probably better than what we saw from Brissett last year. But uh, yeah. the Colts have Super Bowl aspirations, and that's a problem. But he's a liability. Like, I think Brissett was a liability, and I think Rivers is still a liability. Like, not in the same way. But I mean, look, man, sure. you're not gonna you're not gonna see much worse than that pick six that he threw against the Browns. Mm-hmm. Like that's as bad as it gets because not only does he clearly not have the arm strength to get that ball there, what is that like? What decision did you just make, Philip Rivers? Like, why would you do that? But that's but that's Philip Rivers, shit, man. Like that's what he's been doing his whole career, and especially the latter part of it. So I don't know. I don't get it with the Colts. And I just needed to get that off my chest. So thank you, everybody. Nick, Nick, for, Mullins, uh, Nick Mullins thought that was a bad pick six. Uh, Dude, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, right? I, I, okay. And then if, if Philip Weber's is washed, I thought he'd at least just be dumping off like he was week one constantly to Taylor. I, even if you, I know he, Taylor wasn't this great receiver uh, coming out of Wisconsin, but man, I expected some more targets at minimum too. So it's going, it's not working either way with Rivers. No, no, it is not working either way with Philip Rivers. Uh, tough scene there. All right, our next segment is Who Got Shelled, presented by our friends at Planters. Every Wednesday, Dalton and I are going to take a look back at a defense or defensive player who got absolutely shelled last week. Then we'll dive into the data and point out the defensive matchups you might want to take advantage of this Sunday. 
Coming into this past week, week five, I feel like we talked a lot about the Chiefs on the show, but who cares? <laughs> They're the, one of the best teams in the NFL. It is what it is. Coming into last uh, week, I thought there was you know a decent amount of uh, sprinkling of, of football Twitter, like telling us like, wow, the Chiefs pass defense has been legit, like pretty good. And they weren't wrong. Like the Chiefs pass defense had been legit pretty good coming into that game. Uh, they got shelled last week. Derek Carr, like you've got John Gruden running victory laps over pro football focus for how much they threw the ball down the field, which I don't know if that's as much of a victory lap as you might think it is, John Gruden. But Derek Carr's unloading deep bombs to Henry Ruggs. Nelson Aguilar's catching 59-yard touchdowns. Like, obviously the Chiefs got shelled, but did that performance from the Raiders change your expectations of the team at all? I just quickly on that one while we're talking about who got shelled. I had the wrong team in that who got shelled segment, had the Chiefs in that one. Yeah, I think it does make you reevaluate. You draft Henry Ruggs, you start throwing the ball deeper, and sure, maybe maybe it is different if that team can stay healthy. Yeah, right? Like, that's the thing. I feel like I keep saying this about the um, about the Raiders is that they need a couple of counter punches. Like, yeah, you can establish the run with Josh Jacobs, and you have Darren Waller, who's like, you know, a legit unbelievable talent. But uh, you need some more things other than that. And those other things can't just be Hunter Renfro catching, you know, six <laughs> yard passes or whatever. I like Hunter Renfro, but not not that much. So having Henry Ruggs, I think, does change things for the Raiders. And they're even I mean, like Nelson Aguilar has been making good plays for them so far. Um, he had a 55 yard touchdown call back the week before when he also scored on a ticky tack penalty. He almost has it like three, yeah, three touchdowns last two weeks. He is playing better for sure. Let's move on to who we expect to get shelled this week. Dalton, you go first. Who's getting shelled this week? All right. I fear my 49ers are going to get shelled up with all those injuries, but I'm going to say the Cardinals defense gets shelled on Monday night by my guy, Andy Dalton. Uh, over under in that game's 54 and a half. Chandler Jones is out for the season. Cardinals mm. have just one interception all year. Dalton has uh, Dallas's Cowboy. The Cowboys wide receivers remain, you know, as you said earlier, probably the best trio in the NFL. Fast pace. Cowboys defense so bad. I have Andy Dalton as my number six fantasy QB this week. He's going to shell the Cardinals defense. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I expect that that should be a very fun, um, very fun fantasy game. And let's hope that this is where we see the Cardinals passing attack kind of break out because they've been pretty whatever, very horizontal based offense. They're not pushing the ball down the field enough. Um, New Hopkins has been pretty awesome this year. He has no multi touchdown games. I think that could come this week against Dallas. So that's actually something I'm watching there. But the, the unit that I expect to get shelled this week. Uh, is the Vikings pass defense. No one would be surprised about the pass defense and the Vikings getting beat up, but it would be sort of a surprise for Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons Mm. to get things going because uh, Matt Ryan, (laughs) Dalton, over the last three weeks, Matt Ryan has gone under 290 passing yards in three straight games. He has just one touchdown, just one touchdown to two interceptions. It's been a mess for that passing offense, but... I think there's a chance they could get Julio Jones back. I actually think that would be a huge help for them uh, because after Calvin Ridley, I think they've got just a bunch of Jags. Uh, And Ridley, by the way, in a great spot this week too. No team gives up more yards or second they give up the second most yards do the minnesota vikings second only ironically to the atlanta falcons to receivers running routes from the right outside spot of the field calvin ridley has more catches than any receiver when lined up on the right side of the field i think they could get a uh, really big time shelled by this passing offense who is perhaps like we saw the texans last week breathing a sigh of relief that there's been a regime change here 
I like that call. It's sneaky. Everyone's down on Atlanta now, but that over-under is 55 points there. Definitely could be high scoring in Minnesota, and Vikings defense totally banged up. Yeah, two of the absolute worst defenses in the league. So that was who got shelled. I hope we don't get shelled by making those picks. And once again, we want to give a shout-out to Planters for that segment. Stay satisfied with Planters. All right, Dalton, that's it for our Tuesday show. What do you got coming up this week, man? Uh, next pod, we have Scott Pianowski talking the week six lines, and then I have my sit-start column on Friday. As you are eagerly awaiting that particular show and, of course, reading, printing out, and highlighting, underscoring, starring all of the notes in Dalton's great start-sit column, you can listen to all of our other great podcast offerings here at Yahoo Sports because we've got a lot of them. Check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler and the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty from SI. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. That's at Dalton Deldon. One more thanks to Planters and their deluxe mixed nuts and all the salty cravings that you possibly need satisfied. Tomorrow, Dalton, you mentioned it. You'll be back with Scott to preview the week six betting lines. But until then, we're out. I'm Mike Lizikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, where our current focus is on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, as well as the 2020 elections. Subscribe and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcasts. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.